this, this year, we chose the theme for Advent, The Light Has Come. And, and, and beginning in the, the, the very first Sunday in December, we've been marching through um, um, our sermon series, our Advent, our annual Advent sermon series by focusing on one of the traditional themes from Advent each week. And we talked about at the beginning, hope, and then peace, and then love, and then just on Friday night we talked about joy. And these are all attributes that much of the historic church uh, through the years has closely tied to Jesus' arrival to earth. When when Jesus, the light of the world, broke through the darkness of this cold and sinful world, true hope came, true peace came, true love came, true joy all broke through the darkness with him. However, Advent is not only about what Jesus brought at his arrival, it is also about what his arrival did to us, what happened in us when the light came into the world. Because something happened to you when the light burst forth in your dark heart. Something happened to you. And Ephesians 5 is giving us answers. And I want to point your attention to one of those answers this morning. Because those answers, these answers, this answer sets a very important course for us as we prepare our hearts for what's ahead in this new year in 2022. Let's start in verse 7. It says, therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. For those in Jesus, Paul gives this message in those verses that we just read, verses 7 through 13. He says at one, uh, at, at, I'm sorry, 7 through 14, he says at one time you were partners with those in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Don't participate in the works of darkness any longer. Expose those works. Why? Because the light has come and you are now a part of that light. Those who have embraced Christ as Lord are no longer walking in darkness. We are walking in the light and we are awake from our slumber. Won't say woke. Too much heat on that word right now. <laughs> we are awake from our slumber and Christ is shining on us and in us. So the light has come and, and he has made us children of light. So we should be taking part in shining light in the world. And here at City Light, our anchor text for why we exist as a church is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The light has come into the world 
bringing us not only a chance to be delivered out of darkness, but also giving us a commission and a mandate to actually go and be light in the world, to represent the light by being light on his behalf in the world. So in Ephesians 5, Paul points to this truth of us having the light of Christ shown on us, and then he begins to unpack what it looks like for such a people to go and shine on behalf of Jesus Christ. So as we close out 2021 and we begin to move and direct our attention to 2022, I've grown more troubled by what I'm seeing too, too much so in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I'm seeing in me and what I'm seeing in, in us is deeply troubling. I've mentioned it to my wife a couple of times, in fact, that I am deeply concerned about the kind of people we are forming in the church. Something is really off right now in our discipleship, or maybe something is just completely missing right now in our discipleship. But we are far too consumed and captured by the wrong things. And we are far too aligned and committed to the wrong ideas. And our time is most occupied by the things that matter the least in the eternal kingdom of God. And I am deeply concerned about what I'm seeing in our formation. And so in our last sermon of the year, I want to set the stage for 22 by, by pointing us to one way in which Paul urges us to walk as children of light. By walking in wisdom. By walking in wisdom. Picking up in verse 15 again, he says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. I picked these words to close out the year because I wanted them to serve as an anchor of sorts for us as we move into 22, Lord willing. Paul is saying, as children of life who are no longer asleep in the slumber of darkness or in the slumber of unrighteousness or in the slumber of sin and death, we are to walk in wisdom. You've been awakened. At the arrival of Jesus into your life, you should now see the entire world differently than you used to see it. Your purpose in life should be different. Your pursuits in life should be different. Your values and your identity all should have been radically altered when you became a child of light. Our status as children of light should reveal to us a new pattern of behavior. Darkness to light is the, is the move, uh, is the positional move. We, we were once in the dark, we are now in the light. That's a change of status. Now, because our status has changed, we should move from being unwise to wise. So the status change now creates a what? Conduct and behavior change. Paul is saying you are no longer like everybody else. Your status has changed. Thus, your conduct should as well. Because you are no longer like everyone else, you should no longer act like everyone else. So what does wise conduct look like? He says, look carefully then how you walk. The King James Bible says to walk circumspectly. Christian Standard Bible says to pay careful attention then to how you walk. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. We must walk 
in other words, with a new awareness that we have real enemies in the world, and real enemies in our flesh, and, and a real enemy in the devil. We must walk carefully and pay attention and, and, and exercise caution as we walk. You see, the flesh and the world and the devil are all real enemies of our soul, and they have a real mission. And that mission is to distract, or, distract us or derail us from God's purpose and God's mission for us while we are here on this earth. Now, those who are truly in Christ cannot be taken from Christ. We cannot be robbed of our destiny of eternal life with Christ. We are safe and secure in the arms of Jesus. Jesus will keep those of us that have been truly saved. But saints of God, make no mistake about it, if the devil cannot destroy us, those who are in Christ, he will work to accomplish the next best thing, which is to move towards distracting us with lesser pursuits and derailing us from God's light shining work for our life and for the, and for the lives of others who should be looking and seeing that light emanate from us. Does that make sense? Therefore, Paul calls us to live carefully. And what does that mean? It means our lives should be lived with greater scrutiny, greater judgment. Living carefully means that we ask ourselves these type of questions more often. Is this conduct and behavior that I am currently engaged in in line with the will and purposes of God for my life? We ask ourselves that question more often. Proverbs 10 and 23 says, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool, but wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. It might not matter to the fool how they conduct themselves from one day to the next, but to those that are children of light, it should. We should ask ourselves, is the conduct that I'm currently engaged in, is the behavior that I'm currently engaged in aligned with the will and purpose of God for my life? Living carefully and cautiously, walking circumspectly means that we ask ourselves this type of question more often. Are these words that I am using currently, are they useful for edifying and building up those in my presence and in my life? What can God do with these words? Before I post on Facebook, what can God actually do with these words? Is there anything useful that can be produced from what I'm about to say? Ephesians chapter 4 verse 29, it says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Candy felt that when y'all heard the mm in the background, mm, mm. Corrupting talk, she, she's probably talking about me. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Is God able to use my words to draw me and draw others closer to him. 
those are questions that we should make frequent habit of asking ourselves. The great Christian thinker John Stott rather says of this verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he says, we are 15 and 16. He says, we all take trouble over the things which seem to us to matter. Our job, our education, our home and our family, our hobbies, our dress and our appearance. So as Christians, we must take trouble over our Christian life. We must treat it as, as, as the serious thing that it is. And he ends with this. Be most careful then how you conduct yourselves like sensible men, not like simpletons. We take trouble and caution over everything else that we have in life. How much more so should we take caution over how we walk before God? How we speak before God? How often are you asking yourselves these kind of questions? They don't have to be these questions verbatim, but how often are you asking yourselves these kind of questions as you are walking in life, as you are speaking in life, as you are engaging in thoughts, or, or as you are acting on thoughts. Because your willingness to ask yourself these kinds of questions will dictate what type of person you are becoming. Not simply do I have a right to do it, but does it draw my heart closer to Jesus? Not simply do I have a right to do it, but does it point those around me towards Jesus? Not simply do I have a right to post it on Twitter and Facebook, but how will it aid in forging unity amongst the brethren? And how will it aid in drawing the lost to Jesus? And how will it aid in building up the church? And how will it aid in encouraging a soul? And how will it aid in deepening my love and my adoration for Jesus? Not simply am I entitled to think it or say it or do it, but is this thought these words or these actions forming me into the type of person that I want to be and that God desires for me to be. This is part, is, this is part of what is meant when Paul says to us that we must walk carefully, not as the unwise, but as wise. But there's more, Ephesians 5 and 16. Look there with me. He says, making the best use of of the time because the days are evil. Walking in the light instead of the darkness and walking in wisdom instead of foolishness calls for us to make the best use of our time. In the KJV, they capture this phrase from Paul as redeeming the time. Have you ever been to an arcade where they have games that they give you tickets. I despise these games. My wife loves them. My wife, I mean, this is like pretty much everything in life with me and Katie, right? The thing that she loves, I'm like, oh. And the thing I love, she's like, oh. You know, 18 years later, we're still here, right? Amen. Jesus. <laughs> but maybe you've been to a Dave and Buster's, right? Maybe you've been to a Chuck E. Cheese. Maybe you've been to Gaddy Town. Maybe you've been to Funtricity. I don't know how, I don't know how many people... Know how many people in the room know about Funtricity? 
That's about 20 years ago in Vicksburg, so you might not know if you haven't been here long. Nevertheless, you play a basketball game where you're trying to make as many baskets as, as possible within 60 seconds, or you play the ski ball game where you're rolling the ball up the platform and trying to get the plat uh, ball to go into the right hole, and it gives you a bunch of points. And then after you get all of those points, they give you tickets based on how many points or how many shots you made. And, and, and maybe you, you've played these games, and you're getting tickets, and you're on a roll, and, 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 and you have been there all day. You've spent about, you know, 50 bucks, and now you got 300 tickets, which is just enough, just enough to probably get you like a paddle, a paddle board game, you know, something like that. That's probably, that's probably as far as this is going to take you. And if you have kids or, or if you have a kid or if you have a wife like I got, then you are, all, you are all too familiar with how this plays out. And so you know there is a center that you take the tickets to called the Ticket Redemption Center. And this is the place where the greatest accounting in the world is performed. Because you, because you, maybe you've collected 300 tickets, and so you now, with those 300 tickets, you carefully survey the prizes that are available to you for those 300 tickets, and you are calculating what can I, what can I acquire with my 300 tickets, and and so finally you settle in on a choice, because you're looking what can I, what can give me the biggest bang for the buck, and you say 275 tickets will get me a killer fresh new Hot Wheels three-car set, and, and, and so you go ahead and you dump the 275 tickets on the new Hot Wheel car set, and you feel like you've done a really, really good job, right? But you still got 25 tickets left. So you're not going to just let 25 tickets slide, are you? I mean, you're, you're not going to just let them just go to the wayside. So you're going to really go deep and dig deep, and you're going to find something to do with that last 25. Maybe you can get that rubber spider over there, but, but you don't really have a heart for that. There's nobody, that, nobody at the house that's going to be scared of it. So you say to yourself, I'm leaving with something. So you go ahead and you do what? You get the ring pop. I mean, who, who doesn't get the ring pop with like the last 10 tickets, right? So you get the ring pop, and now you have spent all 300 tickets, and, and, and it's something that, that, is, that is really, really, really spectacular because you did not waste any of your tickets, you redeemed all of them for something. And this is what is meant by redeeming the time. That you're making the best possible deal with the limited resource of time that you have. That you're not allowing any of the time to just drop by the wayside. Children of light, children that walk in wisdom, they do so by treating time like the precious commodity that time is. In fact, it's not just simply precious, it is one of the most precious commodities that God has given us. You know, I can't remember ever hearing of someone dying and their parting words being, man, I really wish I had more money. Man, I wish I had more money. I'm sure somebody has said it. But that's not something that you frequently hear. On the flip side, I can think of plenty of stories of people dying and their parting words being something along the lines of, I wish I had more time. I wish I had more time. I wish I had more time. 
I wish I had more time to spend with my family. I wish I had more time to serve the Lord. Our time is precious. Not just precious, but it is one of the most precious assets and commodities that God has given us. And, and why is time precious? I love, I love these four reasons that one theologian gives us for why time is so precious. Reason number one, he says time is precious because eternity depends on our good or bad use of time. See, our state in life depends on whether or not we make good use of our time. We can use our time to study or use our time to goof off. We can use our time to work diligently or use our time to be slothful. And how we decide to use it will have a lasting impact on our livelihood in this life. It will determine what this life even looks like. However, it doesn't stop in this life. You see, if we squander the moments that we've been given to embrace Jesus Christ as Lord, or we, if, we, if we squander it, we will miss out on eternity and we will experience eternal suffering. But if we use the time that we've been given to turn our attention and our embrace to Christ, then we will enjoy eternity with him in the new heavens and in the new earth. And so time matters, not just in this life, but time matters in eternity. That's what makes it so precious. The reason number two that he gives us is that it's, it's very short. Time is precious because it's short. You see, you never seem to have enough. As I mentioned, you have people that say it on their deathbeds, having lived years and years and years, saying to themselves, man, I wish I had more time. So it becomes all the more important that you make the most out of what you actually do have. Reason number three is we don't know how much of it we actually have. It's precious because it's uncertain. You can't calculate time. You don't know how much time you have. Even as short as it already is, we don't know how much of it we actually have. Priscilla Sh uh, Shire makes this beautiful point that's, that's, that, that, that some 21-year-old is sitting at home right now saying to themselves, I'm not quite ready to serve the Lord fully yet, but I will later. And yet there's some 60-year-old sitting at home right now saying, it's too late for me to accomplish much for Jesus. My time has passed. But what Priscilla uh, says is that if the 60-year-old is going to live until they're 85, then they're just getting started. But if the 21-year-old is going to live in only until they're 22, then they better get started quickly. We don't know how much time we have. The gospel greats, the whiners used to sing a song called Tomorrow. And it went, I'll give my life tomorrow. I thought about today, but it's so much easier to say tomorrow. And their response is, who promised you tomorrow? Better choose the Lord today, for tomorrow very well might be today. It's precious because we don't know how much of it we have. And then the last reason that he gives, he says that it's precious because we cannot get our time back when it is past. You see, you don't get a chance to raise your children again in the fear of the Lord. You know, when they grow up, you know, a lot of times we, our, our kids grow up and then all of a sudden we try, to, we try to father them, we try to mother them, we try to parent them. And they don't necessarily respond like, like maybe we would want them to respond. And we're like, well, hey, what, what's, what's going on? We're, we're, and they're, and they're kind of like, well, I mean, that season's past, you know. I'm grown now. 
I needed you to be a father to me then. I needed you to be a mother to me then. Time is relentless like that. You don't get a chance to invest in Christ in your youth more when you're old. Right? Those young and vibrant years are only for a limited amount of time. And after those young and vibrant years, yeah, sure, you can still build on something. But it's not going to be the same experience. It's a different experience. Just like if you missed the opportunity to parent your children, it's not going to be the same experience with your children at 25 as it was at 5. But you still got an opportunity, but it's not the same. Why? Because once the time is past, it's past, which makes it so precious. You see, time is not replaced, it's just lost. Time is a limited commodity. Thus, it is a precious commodity. In light of how precious our time is, how are you using your time? How are you using your time? Children of light, children of wisdom, what separates them from the world? Well, what separates them from the world is that they understand the preciousness of time. They understand that this world is truly coming to an end. They understand that, they, that this life is coming to an end. They understand that there's only so many cycles for them to make the good news of Jesus known to the rest of the world. They know that there's only so many cycles for them to shower people with the love of Christ. And that there's only so many cycles for them to use this season of life to draw near to Jesus. How are you using your time? How much of your time is spent in Facebook splurges, Netflix binges? How much of your time is spent in endless arguments about politics out of your control or mass debates that will never end? How are you using your time? Let me be careful to say this. I'm not simply talking about time management. Because when we read texts like this, what we start thinking about is productivity. I need to make better use of my time. I need to get, you know, in other words, I need to sort my calendar out. I need to sort my schedule out, get all my agenda items together. I'm not just talking about productivity, folks. I'm not talking about time management. I'm talking about something deeper here. Why do I say that? Ephesians 5 and 16, what does it say? Making the best use of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. In other words, in the process of walking in wisdom and using time, there is a current that is driving you, not just simply to waste time, but there is a current that is driving you to use your time to contribute towards the evil of the day versus contributing towards the gospel of Jesus Christ, versus contributing towards righteousness and holiness and goodness and life and love and light. So I'm not just talking about productivity, I'm talking about gospel productivity. I'm talking about using our time in such a way where we are growing more like Jesus. And using our time in such a way where we are pointing more and more people to Jesus. Not just with our words, but with our actual lives. That we are living in such a way that people are observing us and saying, I want to be close to Jesus based on what I'm seeing in them. 
that we are using our time and our marriages in such a way where people are saying, I want to be close to Jesus based on what I see in that marriage. I'm not talking about efficiency alone. You see, you can be efficient and still not be making the best use of evil days. You can be efficient and still consumed by ambition, selfish ambition. And you can be efficient in scheduling all of your things like you need to schedule them. Why? To grow more like Jesus? No, to climb a corporate ladder. And that's not making the best use of your time in a gospel way. You can be efficient in working yourself to death rather than resting in Christ. But see, making the best use of your time could also include what? Rest. Why? Because in that moment of rest, you're telling God that, God, you reign, not me. God, you're in control. I'm not. God, you're the Savior. I'm not. And so in that moment of rest, you're making the best use of your time, drawing closer to Jesus, right? And those around you who get, to get the opportunity to experience a restful Brian, a restful person, they get a chance to see Jesus as well and draw closer. Does that make sense? Gospel productivity is not the same as the world's productivity is my point. And so the question that we must ask ourselves as we are thinking about making the best use of our time is, is the way I'm using my time making me more like Jesus and giving me opportunities to show Jesus to the rest of the world? Are you tracking with that? Which means that sometimes even, our, even in, our, in our productivity, we might have to disrupt some things. We might have to say, I'm spending too much time over here. And that's not serving the purpose of making me more like Jesus and helping people see Jesus in me. And so I'm going to reduce the amount of time that I got right here, even though everybody else is saying, man, that's a really good use of your time. If we're just thinking about making the best use of our time to be the greatest person in the world that we want to be. Does that, does that make sense to everyone? So here's a couple of words of application that I want you to take away from what we're talking about this morning. Number one, commit this coming year to surrounding yourself with godly counsel. And I say that because in order to walk carefully, we must look for people who are walking carefully in the light and dedicate more of our time and more of our life with those types of people. I think one of the reasons why we struggle to walk carefully as children of the light is because many of us are taking our cues from people in the darkness. And so they're chasing certain things, and we feel like, okay, well, that's what I'm supposed to chase. And their identity is wrapped in certain things, and so we say, well, that's what my, that's what my identity is supposed to be wrapped in. And so I, I want you to commit this year to surrounding yourself more with godly counsel. I'm not encouraging you to be, you know, some standoffish person that has no engagement with the world. We know that Jesus was a friend of sinners. We know that part of our light must be shown amongst those who don't have it. That's because we love them deeply and that's because we, we desire that they know Christ. 
But what I'm saying is that if you have limited engagement with people that are walking carefully, you need to up the engagement. I'm not just talking about people that know the Bible. The scribes and the Pharisees who orchestrated the murder of Jesus knew their Bibles very well. Neither am I just talking about people who are successful in this world. Because sometimes we think that, oh, well, let, me, let me just find the most successful person around me that, 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 that professes Jesus Christ. Scripture shows us time and time again that money is not the truest indicator of godliness. In fact, Paul tells Timothy that those who believe that godliness is a means to great gain are those who have been robbed of the truth. I'm talking about people who emanate the fruit of the Spirit from the depths of their being. I'm talking about people that, that walk with a Christ-like radiance. I'm talking about people that when you leave their presence, you leave more encouraged to walk in the light of Christ. You leave more encouraged to pursue holiness. You leave more encouraged to love both those that love you as well as those that do not love you. I'm talking about those type of people. Surround yourself with those type of people. It's been said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. King, King Solomon said a little better in my opinion, whoever walks with the wise become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. We surround ourselves with hyperjudgmental people, we become people who paint over our pride and our gracelessness with hyperjudgment. We surround ourselves with people drunk with ambition and endlessly, endlessly and relentlessly chasing wealth, then we become people who overlook and excuse our greed to chase more success and bigger things and bigger houses and bigger cars. Scripture tells us that, that the man that is blessed is the one that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sit in the, or stand in the way of sinner, nor sit in the seat of the scoffer, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. In other words, he takes his cues from what God says, not what the world does. My challenge to you is to surround yourself with those type of people that are doing that. Last challenge to you. Commit this year. Actually, give me, I got one more thing to say after this. But last challenge. Last challenge, and then I got one more word to say before we close this out told Corey I had a lot to say this morning. Commit this coming year to protecting your time. Commit this coming year to protecting your time. The late great preacher, theologian, Dr. David Martin Lloyd-Jones once had this very, very, very incisive, incisive statement about the use of our time. He said this, the wise man who walks in the light is not like the man who says he is so busy that he really has no time for Bible study and for reading good books. But how is he so busy? Does he spend more time with his newspaper than with his Bible? Then he has no excuse any longer. Let him give the time he was giving to his newspaper to the law of the Lord instead. The Christian meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. That This is his delight. He says, I want something that will build me up and help me and enable me to function as light. So he who, uh, he is a man who is very careful about the portioning of his time. He does not fritter away his time and find at the end of the day that he has not read his Bible, scarcely prayed to God, or done anything else because his time has gone with the frivolities of the things of this present world. No, no. This is the man who buys up the opportunity. He has to discipline himself. He says, I must do this. 
I insist on this. I am doing so at all cost. Never was there more never was this more necessary than I'm sorry, never was this more necessary than it is today. This type of thinking more necessary than it is today. End quote. Now think about that. Dr. Dr. Jones said this half a century ago at least. Think about, think about the time and the age that we're living in right now. So what is he saying? What is he getting at? He's saying this. He's saying this. This year, as you reflect on your disciplines and your habits and your time with the Lord and your time in fellowship with his people and your time in the word, and you say to yourself, man, I really wish I had more time to do those things. What he's saying is, is that you should ask yourself this kind of question. Did I have time to watch entire seasons of my favorite TV shows? Did I have time to watch all of the football games that I wanted to watch? All of my favorite teams, all of my favorite basketball teams, all of my favorite baseball teams. But I did not have enough time to make a steady habit of reading my Bible. He says, if that is your response, that yes is your response, that yes, I had, I had enough time to do all those things, but I didn't have time to do this really, really important thing. He said, you need to turn it upside down. And if necessary, if it requires that you don't watch the football in order to have time with God, he's saying then you don't watch the football. That's what he's saying. If that, if that it requires you to put the newspaper down in order to have time with God, then you put the newspaper down. Why does, why does he say that? He says that the one, listen, the one that is walking in wisdom has to discipline himself in such a way where they say, I must do this. I don't have to do that. And I don't have to do this other thing. But I must do this thing. And so our priorities in 22 is what I'm encouraging you to shift. Does that make sense, saints? Last thing, verse, 16, verse 17, he says, therefore do not be foolish. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Part of us as children walking in the light requires that we stay attuned to the will of God. And how do you stay attuned to the will of God? By fixing your attention on the word of God. By ramping down on what? the distractions and the, and, the, and the philosophies and the lessons of the world, and by ramping up on what thus says the Lord, meditating day and night on the law of the Lord. So there's, there's ample opportunity for us all, amen? Ample, ample room for growth in this area, and ample ounces of grace from God when we fail. So there is, so there is, this is not, this is not a challenge that I want you to walk away in despair. There is room at the cross for all of us in our failures to walk in the light as children of light.
But the challenge, I want to make sure it lands on your heart. Why? Because I, I want you to walk in some kind of, you know, some kind of hyper-aggressive, you know, salvation by works. No, but because you will be blessed when you turn your attention in this direction. Your soul will be nourished when you finally are able to convince yourself or allow the voice in your head, the, the devil that says you don't need that, when you'll finally allow that to ramp down a little bit and dampen, you will find blessing and nourishment, nourishment and enrichment by walking this path. So I'm not just calling you to a to-do list. I'm calling you to deeper pleasure. I'm calling you to deeper fulfillment in God. I'm calling you to, 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 to growing more and more and being formed more and more in his image and in his likeness and being shaped less and less by this world. By the spirit of God, may we go, amen. Let's pray. God, we love you.